This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome, Rick Ritz, to this Blackhawks Hockey Rink. Yes, episode 48. My episode. That's my number. Episode 48. Brought to you by the Overtime Media Podcast Network. Your sport, your team, on your time. And also brought to you by our founding sponsors at puckhockey.com. That's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. Head over, get yourself some rink wear. Use discount code THERINK, T-H-E-R-I-N-K. Get 10% off on all of your orders. Actually, I think they were... They had another special going on where I saw 15% off. So they, you know, they're, uh, they're humming along there with that. So, but get yourself some rink wear. Uh, we're all sporting it and, uh, be good for the summer. Get yourself a t-shirt, a hat, whatever to keep your, uh, head out of the sun or something like that. So anyway, today is Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. I am Jeff Osborne, better known across the interwebs as gatekeeper. My name is Jeff. It's FA, man. And I am joined by my good friend, co-host, and fellow grumpy old guy, Mr. John Jekyll. Hello, sir. Hey, I got a blown-out shoulder and a bad back, but I'm really excited about uh, our guest tonight. Yeah, and together, we are your most trusted sources. It's your favorite online hockey hangout, the-rink.com. So, yeah, there was fireworks. I've been pumping this up for a week. Um, Our guest tonight is Mark Lazarus. we uh, we recorded the interview already, so we're now we're into the, you know, the, uh, we, we kind of did that ahead of time because Mark had to get on his way, but um, we had a lot of really good dialogue. Now, I'm going to warn you guys, if, if you're coming on here and you're thinking that uh, I'm going to come on here and I'm going to call Mark an asshole or do anything like that, that's not going to happen. Like, that's just not fair to him. It's not fair overall. Come on, have a debate. We'll talk. Maybe we don't agree with the things that, you know, he says or that he doesn't agree with things we say. We're fine with saying that. We can be professional about it. But um, don't expect me to come on here and just be a complete jag-off to him because that's not what I'm going to do. Like, No, I, I think people expect you to come on and be a complete jag-off to me. But that's, <laughs> that's right. No, I, no I, it, that's not how we roll. And quite honestly, I, I, uh, Mark, um, I greatly respect his, his willingness to, to come on and, and uh, confront um, his his casual critics and I would say casual because uh, especially of late I mean we've we found ourselves agreeing with Mark more often than not on, on you know insights and, and points of view about the team and uh, so we'll t- we'll talk about that with him in the segment that follows and and uh, uh, there's some really good back and forth and, and good we you know I don't think we agree with everything he said on the show tonight but it's not like it's strenuous disagreement either I think it's shades of gray and we we had a great conversation about Twitter and about, uh, you know, some of the opinions that get thrown around and how people get worked up about certain things. And I think that as much as anything else is really worth listening to, because I think there's some, there's some really good perspectives there too. Yeah. I think it was great. I had a great time talking to Mark. Um, you know, we may have mine again, um, that, you know, that, that could very well happen. That doesn't mean I necessarily agree with everything he says. Um, but you know, I, I, if he was to, you know, look at my uh, Twitter feed, I doubt he agrees with everything I say. So it is what it is. I don't agree know, with everything you know John stands. says. He's, he's, he's very passionate about his opinions. And, you know, I think you and I both, we, we would appreciate that versus somebody who, you know, doesn't take a stand and doesn't have an opinion or, you know, um, vacillates a lot. And uh, so, I mean, it was, it's, it was good. It was good to have him on. And, and, you know, maybe we can even have him on, have him on again. 
Yeah, for sure. Vacillates. Wow, where'd you come up with that one? <laughs> Don't ask. Hey, phrasing! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that, that being said, I just wanted to warn everybody with that part of it. Um, we'll talk about the Blackhawks just a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll get this thing rolling, the show on the road. Um, Blackhawks right now are 32-30 and... I think it's 32. 32-30 and 10. Um, 74 points, won five in a row, but lost to Vancouver the other night. Uh, they're still seventh. That hasn't changed. 22nd overall, four points out of a tie for the wild card. And we kind of talk about this, and I bring this up a little bit later, but just because they're tied for the wild card or they're held in that spot, if they're tied, they're going to lose the tiebreaker. Um, the goal differential actually went down. Uh, it actually went uh, uh, down uh, considerably, like 10 goals. Um, they're they're tw- still negative 20, but um, they're a little bit better. Uh, they're still uh, 20th, uh, bottom third of the league in faceoffs at 49.3. Um, they're still last, and I saw this tweet going fl- uh, flying around Twitter today. Uh, the, their penalty kill is still last in the league at 73.1%, which I believe it was like uh, they're they're the worst. If they finish like at this clip, it'll be uh, the worst finish on the penalty kill for any team in quite a while. I think. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know the amount of games it was, or uh, I, don't, I don't know what it was, but it was quite a while. Um, you know, I, I, I want to interject this too, yeah, because um, it is a a rumor that I heard uh, last week. Ooh, rumors that that um, you know, the, it's funny because the the source on this, you know, has is feels pretty strongly that the Hawks are going to go after Panarin this summer, um, and and Mark will echo that as well. Um, but Mark doesn't think the Hawks are going to get him either. And and so I, I, I agree with that. They may in fact make a strong pitch for him, but I don't think they're going to get him um, for a variety of reasons. But he, the source said, and, and I think this is a really interesting tip. And I, and I think there's something to this that they're going to make a hard move for a depth centerman in unrestricted free agency, um, which if you think about it and you think about the problems on the power play, uh, you know, Marcus Kruger, I'm Penalty as big kill. a Marcus Kruger fan as there is out there. And, and you talk about a guy who plays well beyond his size and, and, you know, sacrifices himself like a warrior, but he's lost that face-off ability he used to have with the wrist surgeries he's had. There's just, he's like a 47%, 46% face-off guy now. And they, they have to get somebody who can take those those defensive zone draws in penalty kill situations and not rely on Jonathan Taves for that because he's they're they're already relying him on him too much in too many situations and he's got to rest and and so they're gonna and they need you know they need a secondary option anyway I mean so I I if, I I would watch that this summer I mean the whole you know Panera yeah personally I think the Panarin pursuit is going to basically be a big PR move I think it's it's just to get the fans excited I I don't think the Hawks even think they're going to get them honestly um but I, I I would say watch them go for go and get a you know really a really good defensive face-off winning centerman this summer in free agency now John if they don't go do that, I'm going to pull this up later and I'm going to say, yeah. you have the terrible takes because yeah, terrible yeah. Source, I have no sources. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you know, um, sometimes <laughs> these rumors are, are correct. And the bottom line is um, I'm not reporting something that should come as any really a big surprise because um, if you, if you read the statistics and you look at the games and you look at the problems with the power play in particular, 
Um, it's Penalty hard kill, not right? to see why they wouldn't go after, you know, uh, a, a strong face-off winning depth centerman. Um, because it's not Artem Anisimov and it's it's not Marcus Kruger anymore, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, I don't think Dylan Strom is that guy either. Yeah, you meant penalty kill, right? You said power play. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, penalty yeah. kill. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm just you. making sure. I just want to clarify for people. Yeah. So but anyone I think who's screaming at the radio. I would watch that. I think they're going to they're gonna try to make some kind of a move there. I don't think it'll be a 5 or $6 million player, but it could well be a $4 million player. And, and uh I also heard simultaneously with that that there's a real possibility that Artem Anisimov will get moved this summer, um, and uh, you know, um, you know, perhaps that could bring back um, you know some defensive help. Um, perhaps not. You know, you, you may only get like a third round draft pick for him too. You know, and just lose the contract. Yeah, but I've heard that's a possibility too. Yeah, and that all makes sense. So, yep. and, and of course, this is stuff we've been saying forever. Like they need, you know, a depth. Uh, a depth center because Artem Anisimov really isn't it. He kind of really doesn't have a place. And um, while David Camp is pretty good, and you know, or at least I should I shouldn't say he's pretty good. I should say that he's growing into a decent player. Yeah, is what he's doing. Yeah, but and he's what, getting better at faceoffs too. But I I still feel like they need that guy who's really going to be the third line center. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Because. Camp is a fourth line center. He's not. He's not a third yep. line center. He's a fourth line center. And Strom is your number two guy who's going to play in you know a lot of offensive zone starts with DeBrinket. Um and you know Taves is is going to play in all situations. But you he's got to have some some quality secondary faceoff options behind him in all situations. And I think so. I think it'll be that you know it could. It's like I'm not saying this is the guy, but I could see them going after a Jay Beagle type of guy for that role. Yeah. Well, I mean. If you look at when the Blackhawks are successful, they had like Dave Boland on their right. third line. That's right. what the Blackhawks need. They need a Dave Boland, not a flashy guy. Yeah, not a flashy guy, but a guy who's a solid all-around guy who you can put out there in defensive situations that can shut the other team's top center down or at least not get completely killed. Um, it, it can at least hold his own. That's what they really need because you have that hole between Camp and uh, Dylan Strome. So, you know, and I know we're going down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but I got a question from a fan the other day about, you know, would the Hawks, you know, go and make an offer sheet on Braden Point and which I, I think is is completely not going to happen. Although he's he's a great player. I really I really like Braden Point. But, you know, it, it did cause me to go and look at Tampa's center depth and to, to give him a, a considered and, and responsible response, which which I believe I did. Do you know it's funny? Like all four of Tampa's centers are well above fifty percent in faceoffs. Yeah, and you know it's like it's like we talked about, and we were talking about the other night. I mean, when Bo Horvat won that draw and it came back to uh, the defenseman and, and ended up in the back of the Hawks net for the first goal for Vancouver, right. and it was off a clean faceoff win in the offensive zone. And you know it's faceoff, and they but they keep telling us faceoffs don't matter. Well, yeah. And especially, you know, in your offensive and defensive zone, I mean, they, they really matter. And, um, uh, you know, Tampa is a team that that fundamentally does so many things well. Um, and they just they're so fun to watch, especially at ice level, the, the way they play their system and their their gaps and, and um, you know, their, their transition. But the other thing is, is they do those little things, those little things that don't get the um, you know, the, the kudos and, and, you know, that, that get all the fans wild and faceoffs are one of them, you know? And, and, uh, so, um, like there's a guy in, in Tampa, I think we all remember him from the Stanley cup final a few years ago, who kind of drove the Hawks crazy. 
um, who will also be an RFA this summer, but probably, but you know, who knows? Maybe Tampa won't be able to afford to keep him, and that's um, Cedric Paquette wouldn't be a bad third line center. Right. Yeah. And and, and people are going to have to realize that something like that is not going to be a flashy name. No. It, it may right. be. An, yeah. It's it may not going to be sexy. No, it's not going to be sexy at all. It's going to be right. you know. Oh, oh, you know, Stan didn't go out and get uh, Artemi Panera. He went out and got Cedric Paquette or whatever, you know? And, well, that when that may be the smarter, uh, you know, move is to bring in something like that, you know? So right. you, you have a little perspective on this and think about it before you, you know, and we, we're going to talk a lot about this later, you know, spout off on Twitter about how, how, how terrible, you know, a particular move was. But, uh, yeah, so, but uh, kind of circle back, Real quickly, I don't want to belabor this too long. Uh, Marcus Kruger isn't hasn't been playing center lately, so that just goes to show you how little confidence right now, you know, uh, Jeremy Colleton has in him uh, as being that guy that can win those faceoffs. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but anyway, back to the stats. Um, their power play, they're tied for eleventh at twenty point nine percent. They went down just a little bit. Um, they've come back down to earth, even though they scored one the, the other night. Uh, they went like uh, I don't know. It was like 19 in a row or something without scoring. So it came back down to earth a lot like we said it would. <clears throat> um, goals four, they're eighth in the league. They're in the top third. That's good. That's good. That is good. I want to stress that. For all the people that say we're always negative, that is good. Uh, and the power play is good too. Um, but goals against, they're, they're tied for 31st, worst in the league, 262. <laughs> like... They are were they're terrible at that, and they're also thirtieth in shots faced per game, which is and and they've done you know the past couple of games they've given up less, uh you know than the thirty five, but they they give up thirty five point one shots a game, on average. That's bad. Yeah, That's terrible. Mean, they they gave up the the number of shots they gave up, for example, in the Toronto game. Um, it's really inexcusable, and you know we had a good conversation with Mark about you know, whether the Hawks can make the playoffs, which Jeff, you very adroitly pivoted into, well, even if they get in, what can we expect from them? And, and um, you know, the the reality of it is, is that winning track meet games at this time of year um, against teams of varying levels of, of talent and commitment at this, at this point of the season um, are one thing versus, you know, what it takes to win games in the playoffs. And, um, you know, uh, there's, this team still is, is really, um, not, you know, and, and again, you know, Mark alluded to the fact that Colton's just working with what he's got. And I, I kind of agree with that, but, um, you know, at the same time, uh, they, they, they just have to improve defensively. And I don't, I think that improvement is going to hopefully start in the off season. Cause I don't see, see much hope right now. Yeah. Right. For sure. Um, the possession metrics, um, their shot totals, uh, went down slightly. Um, they're, they're in, at 20th, uh, 48%, which is Corsi. Um, their shot, uh, unblocked shot totals, actually, they went up three spots. It's crazy how, the, how that part goes on. Uh, mm-hmm. There's that much of a difference between what, what happens with the Corsi and the Fenwick. Unblocked shots, again, is Fenwick. Uh, they're 24th, which is, you know, in the, in the, really in the, in the bottom of the league. Uh, but they actually moved up three spots from 27th. They were 27th. Uh, their high danger save percentage, it's been good most of the year. Um, and it's still, they're, they're fifth. They're in the, you know, the, the tops of the league, they moved up two spots with Corey Crawford playing as well as he's played the last couple of games. Again, 
don't think that this is going to be the norm. I don't think that, you know, it, the same thing happened when he started the season. Everyone's like, oh, he's back. He just stepped right in. He played. And then he and he kind of evened out a little bit. I, I fully expect that to happen with Corey Crawford again, even though they're going to they're going to ride him hard and put him away wet, uh, I, apparently, uh, you know, these last 10 games. But um, <clears throat> well, you know, he he looks phenomenal. I mean, um, you know, and I, I I'm going to fully admit I'm the guy who's been saying that Crawford's done and. From a broad perspective, I still believe that that's true. I think I think we're you know it's great that he's back and it's really great that he's playing this well. But I until until I see him play a full season again, which I just don't think he's going to do. I don't think he's going to be able to do it in playing in the NHL. You know, with the amount of contact that goalies get, both from shots and from players. Um, I, I but in the in the meantime. To his to his credit, he looks phenomenal. It's unfortunate because, you know, he's also seeing a lot of rubber. And, you know, it's as well as he played, relatively speaking, against Vancouver, it wasn't enough. And, you know, that's the other thing going back to the whole thing about how they're playing and and you know, playoff being playoff ready. I think it was a little disappointing that, you know, they came out versus a team that had played on the road in Dallas the night before, played in overtime on the road the night before. And yet the Hawks pretty much got outplayed the first 40 minutes of the game. And we'll talk more about that. But anyway. Not too good, man. You're being very (laughs) on, dude. (laughs) And uh, the last stat is they're 22nd in the league in five five, uh, on five save percentage. But they've actually moved up four spots with the way Corey Crawford's played the last couple of games. He's played, you know, he's seen that many shots that that it moved their percentage up like four points. So, uh uh, that's that's where they stand with that. So as far as the Blackhawks go, that's where they stand. Uh, what we're going to do here, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to throw it over to Mario Tarabasi, our AHL guy. He's going to talk about the uh, Rockford Ice Hogs for a little bit. And then we're going to go into another break. We're going to then have Mark Lazarus on. And then we're going to wrap up for the night. So without further ado, let's take the break and head over to Mario Tarabasi. Finding the right pros for home projects can be tough and spark a lot of questions like, how do I find a pro who can help? Will they do a good job? Will I get a fair price? That's where HomeAdvisor can help. From leaky faucets to major remodels, HomeAdvisor connects you to the right pro for the job in seconds and even helps you get a fair price. Read reviews, check project cost guides, and book appointments. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free HomeAdvisor app to start your next project. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Um, hopefully you're not uh, giving Mark too hard of a time, but uh, just wanted to give you an idea of what we're looking at for the Rockford Ice Hogs in this latest War Pigs report. Tonight they're hosting their rivals, the Chicago Wolves. Puck drops at 7 o'clock, so uh, game's already going to be underway, maybe even be finished by the time uh, everyone is uh, is listening to this. But uh, Rockford facing their rivals. Um, they are 5-4-1 and one this year in 10 games. Tonight, tonight is game 11 of 12 on the season. Uh, taking on the top team in the AHL Central Division, that's the Wolves. They have 81 points uh, this year leading the division. Rockford currently in fourth place uh, with 70 points. They are uh, eight points behind the Iowa Wild for third, um, but they are holding on to the final uh, AHL Central Division Calder Cup playoffs spot. 
uh, one point over fifth place Texas Stars. Uh, much like last year was this year uh, in the Central Division, it's another tough, grinded out, every point matters kinds of, kind of second half of the season. Like I said, up one point on the Texas Stars, or up two points on the Manitoba Moose, and up three points on the Milwaukee Admirals. Rockford with 12 games to play uh, remaining this season. The good thing for them is that all of those games are going to be against Central Division opponents. So uh, much like last year in January, they were 6th, 7th, hovering around that spot when January rolled around. Uh, last year they were able to move up into 4th. This year pretty much doing the same thing. They, they hovered, hovered around 6th and 7th place a little bit uh, at the beginning of the calendar year. They've now forced their way into 4th and uh, currently in a playoff spot for the Calder Cup playoffs. Uh, if the season were to end today, tonight's game between uh, Chicago and Rockford would actually be a little bit of a preview of a potential first-round series. Um, the way that both teams are trending right now, it will be a first-round series. Uh, if you remember, last year Rockford swept Chicago in the first round of the Calder Cup playoffs uh, in three games on their way to a Western Conference Finals appearance. Um, Rockford this year uh, has been a little bit offensively challenged. Team defense has been their MO, and that's going to be tested against the likes of the Chicago Wolves, who rank fifth uh, in goals for this season in the AHL. Compare that to Rockford, uh, currently dead last in the AHL in goals for. They're averaging about 2.4 goals per game, but they are eighth in goals allowed per game. So, um, like I said, team defense and goaltending has been um, the, the key to success for Rockford this season. Uh, Colin Delia currently with the team, um, unless there's any injury shenanigans with the Blackhawks in the last uh, two weeks or so of the, of the season. He'll stay in Rockford. Uh, him and Anton Forsberg currently uh, controlling the net for the Ice Hogs, but can't forget about Kevin Lankinen, who has had a uh, pretty good rookie season, his first year in North America with the Ice Hogs. Um, the three of them have contributed to the Ice Hogs having the AHL's best uh, team save percentage with a 918 save percentage combined amongst the three of them. Uh, for Delia and Forsberg, they are the top two goalies in the league who have played a minimum of 20 games in save percentage. Forsberg, a 924. Uh, that ranks second to Delia's 930. So uh, the play in net, the play in their own end has been, um, you know, pretty good. Uh, goal scoring has been a struggle. The power play has been a struggle. Their penalty kill has been, uh, on the other side of things, a strength. 11th in the league in their penalty kill, tied for 29th in the league on the power play. Uh, earlier this week, interim head coach Derek King talked a little bit about the goal scoring or lack thereof and acknowledging that you know this Ice Hogs roster is not loaded with guys who can put up five, six, and seven goals per night and outshoot and outskill teams like that. The Ice Hogs currently are built as a team that's going to have to grind out games, win games that are, are tightly contested, only be able to give up one or two goals per night and uh, have to win some tough, hard-fought one-goal games. That's exactly what they've done in their last five wins have all been by uh, one-goal margins. Ten of their last 15 wins have all been by one-goal margins. Uh, one note here, uh, as far as special teams go, the Ice Hogs in the Central Division have taken the fewest penalty minutes. So um, not only giving up 
uh, not a lot of goals, also giving up not a lot of uh, power play opportunities to their opponents. Uh, as far as uh, offense goes, um, while it has been scarce, a couple players in recent uh, weeks have uh, come into the fold and have really stepped up their game. Uh, the biggest thing that they that the Ice Hawks did was make a trade for Peter Holland. They brought him in, and uh, he's played 10 games so far with Rockford. He's got four goals, three assists for seven points in his 10 games uh, with the Ice Hawks. But um, along with bringing him in, pairing him with uh, Jordan Schrader, uh, Schrader's really benefited from that. In his last 18 games, uh, he has 17 points and is second on the Ice Hogs in uh, total points if you count Holland's time uh, total in the AHL towards the Ice Hogs team um, point total. One guy that doesn't need to uh, maybe bounce back into the form that he had in the first half of the season is Anthony Lewis. Uh, in Anthony Lewis's last 20 games, <clears throat> he has four points, three assists, and one lone goal. Um, so if he can get back into the fold offensively, provide a little uh, bump for the Ice Hogs there, they could probably find a little bit more success. Uh, as far as injuries go, um, some news from uh, Derek King earlier this week was that uh, Jacob Nilsson and Terry Broadhurst both are expected to come back by the end of the month. Another player that was expected to be back by the end of the month looks like he'll need some more time is Matthew Highmore. Uh, Highmore got off to a great start this season. He had seven points in his first eight games played, uh, but then in uh, the middle of November went down with a shoulder injury, had surgery, and uh, is expected to need some more time before returning back to the team. Hopefully uh, will be available for the last handful of games and into the playoffs if the Ice Hogs are going to uh, qualify for that. Another transaction uh, to be noted that they made in the last week was uh, signing college free agent uh, Dylan McLaughlin from Canassius College. Uh, McLaughlin played four years at Canassius and uh, most notably in the last uh, two seasons, his junior and Caesar's senior season, he was named to the uh, all-conference teams this year. He was a first-team all-Atlantic Hockey Conference uh, recipient. Uh, and in his junior year, 2018, he was a Hobie Baker uh, top 10 finalist along with Dylan Sakura, who was a Hobie Baker finalist. Uh, and he also, in 2018, was the Atlantic Hockey Player of the Year. So a lot of expectations uh, for Dylan as he comes into the uh, Dylan McLaughlin. have to specify that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a lot of, lot of expectations for him coming into uh, the last half of this season, last you know, two weeks of the season that he can jump in and, and make an impact at the AHL level. So we'll see how tonight's game against the Wolves go. A uh, lot of a uh, lot of similarities between uh, Rockford and Chicago as far as where they are in the standings and what the last uh, dozen or so games are going to mean for both teams trying to not only get into the playoffs but also hold a playoff spot down and uh, be playing some meaningful games into April, May, and maybe even June. So I'll send it back to you guys and uh, yeah. So, the meat of the program's here, guys. Um, I've been talking this up for a little while, but uh, here we are. The, the moment you've all been waiting for. We, uh, we have Mark Lazarus on the program. I reached out to him. Figured he'd be a good sport about this. And, uh, you know, I think he trusts us enough to know that we weren't going to ambush him with any kind of craziness. Um, we have enough respect for him that uh, we're not going to pull any of those uh, nonsense things. So, anyway, welcome Mark Lazarus to the program. 
What fun is that? That's all I'm here for is to get ambushed and to fight back. What's going on? Well, you know, well, man, this guy's delusional. We're not going to tell you when we ambush you. <laughs> that doesn't mean well, we're going to, you know. Serious, this market. It takes a big man to, uh, to you know, come on to a show that may seem like hostile territory, but uh, and and just you know, your your agreeing to come on with us is really really respectable, and uh, you know we appreciate it and. Uh, Generally speaking, we're kind to our guests. And, you know, the other thing is about it is that of late, um, you know, in the past, there were some 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 opinions that you put out there that we didn't necessarily always agree with. But of late, we found ourselves agreeing with you more and more. And, it, you know, we're not sure what that is. If uh, We don't feel like our our points of view have evolved that that much. We're still kind of <laughs> cynical and, and uh, grumpy and uh, glass half full. Um, but, you know, I was wondering, you know, are you do you have a sort of hmm, a longer editorial leash, um, you know, moving from the Sun-Times to the Athletic? And if, and if you know, you're not comfortable talking about that, that's fine, no, too. No, that's fine. Have your have your points of view evolved over the course of the year, which is perfectly understandable because, you know, fair minds can can evolve opinions. Um, but I just it just seems like of late your points of view have become a little more critical um, of the team. And, and, and maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe you feel like you've been sort of consistently that way, you know, going back quite a while. So I'd just love to hear what you have to, to offer on that. I mean, my, my job description is certainly a little different now with the athletic. I'm not a quote unquote beat writer anymore, but uh, you know, I, I, I always had like the sun times is not a shy paper. I was always, I was the hockey columnist as well as the beat writer. I always had a leash to write, Whatever I felt to write, I mean, you go back to the summer of 2015 and there were some things I wrote that, you know, were, were, were straight up columns and editorials. And I was always encouraged. I don't think that's changed. Um, I haven't I haven't personally I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what you mean. I haven't noticed my own views changing that much. Uh, I'm critical of the team because they're worse now than they used to be in 2014, 2015. I'm not sure how critical you could be. People wanted me to, like, grab Joel Quenville by the collar and smack him in the face and demand an answer why the power play sucks. But. They just won three cups. I mean, mm -hmm. how, how upset could you really get about the power play when they kept winning the cup without a power play? Yeah. Uh, it, it felt it felt disingenuous to to gin up controversy where there really wasn't controversy last year. You know, when Crawford got hurt, that was a pretty big excuse when you had some J.F. Barube and Jeff Glass and Anton Forsberg. <laughs> you weren't going to win anything with those guys in net. So you kind of got a pass there, I think, in the second half of the season uh, this year. They are what they are. Um, and, you know, when they were really bad, I said they were really bad. And when they're doing better, I point out that they're doing better. Uh, some of it's smoke and mirrors. Some of it lately seems to be legitimate. Uh, they're, they're on a hundred plus point pace for the last three months now. That's, you know, you could, you could, you could talk about PDO all you want. And surely there's some of that, but they're not nearly as bad as we thought they were going to be. But I don't, I don't feel like I've gotten mellower or harsher on them. I feel like I'm just, okay. you know, they're getting worse. So my opinions of them are going to get a little harsher sometimes. Good answer. That's that's fair. Yeah, I mean, some of the let things. Me ask, let me ask you what how how do you feel? I'm curious because I really don't know what 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 was different about my opinions, you know, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago than they are now. Well, you know what? I, we've only been doing the podcast um, since November of 2017. So, and I think you know, I don't know what it is. We got into. Uh, we got into um, a last spiral for a little while, and I, I so I we felt like I think that 
that that you were maybe soft pedaling a little bit, but you know, you know, you're saying no, and that's fair. I mean, I can only respect that. Um, because we certainly we 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 say that a lot about a lot of people too. So don't don't feel singled out. Well, I, mean, I, I there there I I understand. Like there's there's this argument. I get this on Twitter a lot of time. People are like, oh, you're afraid to be critical because you know they're going to revoke your access. First of all, that's not going to happen. There's zero ch- like I would have to you know basically just make shit up. And, and like maliciously for them to revoke my credit. There's nothing I could say that's fair game critically that would revoke my access over the, this is seven years in now. I mean, they, they, you know, that's not going to happen. I'm not afraid of anyone in the Blackhawks organization. You know, the, the column I wrote after Joel Quenville was fired, that was not a, you know, uh, uh, I, I basically said it was a Stan Bowman's fault, not Joel's fault yeah. that they were in this. Yeah. I mean, you know, and Stan so we, Bowman's, I saw Stan Bowman that. the next day in the hallway and he's like, Oh, Hey Mark. I'm like, Hey Stan. I mean, it's, this is all business. It's all professional. I get along with, That's you know, cool. perfectly civil with everybody there. And they understand that part of my job is to be critical of them when, when, when times warrant. I mean, these are big boys. They can handle it. <clears throat> I think That's more. Good re- to hear. Yeah. I think more recently, I mean, there are little things here and there where we're like, what, you know, and you know, like I, I, I the one that comes top of mind was that Eric Gustafson was a legit top two defenseman. <laughs> And we've did I say top two or did I say top four? Because top two sounds a little ri- hyperbolic. It, it I the, do tend to get hyperbolics. Yeah, at the time it was you said top two, um, to be fair. Um, but and we don't agree with that, you know. I mean to us, but you you have definitely said, and I've heard you say it several times, because you know, I, I pay attention to what you and Scotty do. I love Scotty to death, and you're growing on me, Mark. <laughs> At, <laughs> yeah, more definitely. times, more times, you know, I, I've said it several times uh on the podcast probably in the last six months where it's like, you guys are going to believe this, but I agree with Laz hundred percent on this point. And, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest about it. And, uh, but the, the Eric Gustafson thing was like, we, we, I heard you say that. And like, we disagreed with that. That was just an example. And, and that's, we still kind of feel that way we feel. And I've heard you say it, uh, Dude, a couple if times. If you go back over seven years of writing almost every single day, you're going to find a lot of stupid shit that I said. Well, yeah, you're not alone in that. Neither are we. So. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and some and and like as we've written more and we've done more work, and and of course we're not on the level that you guys do it, but um, you know, we'll say something that two months ago um we forgot, uh, you know, we forgot we said the opposite or something like that. So I can see how that could definitely happen. Um, yeah, I mean, you've written, I've probably written literally millions of words on these guys. I'm sure they don't all age well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. For sure. And, um, that's happened to us too. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> so, I mean, here we are, uh, the Eric Gustafson thing, Eric Gustafson thing is a big, big point of contention right well, now. He's, he, he, he's a polarizing figure for the, for a lot of fans right now. Not, not just you guys, I'm sure. Yeah. There's a lot of people that he drives, he, he, Jeremy Colleton, he drives Jeremy Colleton nuts because he's such a nightmare in his own, his own end. But then you see what he can do in the offensive zone. It's like, well, Maybe we can actually teach this guy to play defense. Maybe we can't. Maybe we shelter him. Maybe we find a better pairing for him. The problem is they don't have a shutdown guy to pair him with that can cover for him. It's a, it's, it's, it's an interesting quandary. My point with Gustafson has always been he's a guy who's been basically a point-to-game guy for a while now, helped the power play turn around, and he's signed next year for $1.25 million. I just thought it would be silly to trade him. That's all. Yeah, I mean, there are points for both sides on that. You know, you could probably get a lot for him if he's at the top of his, you know— yeah at the top of his production and maybe next year he falls off that could very well happen based on, you know, history and just looking at his career. Um, but 
yes, uh, he's a, he's a specialist. He's an offensive specialist. Probably, maybe should probably be a third pair guy. Um, but a power play specialist, sure, yeah. But, on a better team, he'd have a smaller role, certainly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah. we agree with that. And that's that's where we. And I mean, this is probably one of the things that we have had to uh, argue with people about the most. And it's surprising because of all things, Eric Gustafson. But there are so there, there's there people will die on this hill about Eric Gustafson, and I don't oh, yeah. know why. <laughs> I don't know why it's so crazy that they think Eric Gustafson is the next Eric Carlson, which he's not. And uh, if you say anything otherwise, that the black, you know, that he's the, the the best player on the Blackhawks, or because he has 14 goals and he's in the, you know, well, it, look, I mean, come on, you. Uh, you know, I, my Twitter mentions are just a dumpster fire almost every single day of the week. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, a- anyone who says things like that, you have to take them with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. They're they're clearly, you know, you're, you, there's a difference between talking between to a you know a, a knowledgeable, deeply invested fan and a fan, and you have to cut some people slack. Sometimes they fall in love with a player and they're not thinking about his Corsi or his you know uh, expected goals for percentage, and they just like the guy, and he's their favorite guy, and they're going to stick to him. You can't get angry at everybody who has an opinion like that. So, Mark, let me ask your your take on this, and you're being close to the team and close to, to Colleton. Um, you may be able to shed some light on this. So I've noticed – so and speaking – Gustafson is sort of the, the flashpoint of this whole thing. I, I felt like the the issue with Gustafson defensively is not that he's stupid. It's not that he's um, been poorly coached. It's been a lack of willingness and commitment to playing defense and being in position to play defense as opposed to getting caught way too far up the ice, et cetera. And it seems like of late observing him play, and I think it's had a ripple effect on the entire team, and perhaps it is sort of a, a team-wide embrace of, of the system but it, like the last really handful of games the Hawks seem to have I mean yeah they gave up a ton of shots against Toronto which is you know an ongoing problem but it does seem like and I think part of it's Crawford and Crawford's had some a couple of great games which is fantastic but I think part of it also is Gustafson when he's out there he does seem to be competing and being a little bit more attentive to his cover, I I don't necessarily blame the the overtime goal the other night on him at all, um, but and it, it so my thing is is I'm wondering is Colton making him perhaps earn five on five minutes a little more now versus you know just throwing a lot of minutes at him like he was earlier in the year and I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, I mean it's fun. You're gonna laugh because his his most recent stint as a top two defenseman has been by far his best since they broke up Keith and Seabrook and put him back up there with Keith. All of a sudden, he's looked. You know, he's he's not like you said. He's not ever going to be a shutdown guy. But you're right. He has looked considerably better. For for me, I don't I don't think it's a lack of willingness. I don't think he's mm. you know. Uh, uh, and I don't I don't think he's dumb either. I, I think it's decision making. He's a he makes poor decisions in coverage. He makes poor decisions in his own end. He makes really poor decisions in transition, especially. That's been the crux of this for him is, you know, when he's in the offensive zone, he's so instinctive and he knows what to do and he's always yeah. pinching at the right time. He, it's kind of the opposite in his own end. He, yeah. he makes the wrong choice line. He makes the wrong pass. He carries it when he, should, when he should pass it. He passes it when he should carry it. He just seems to make the wrong decision in his own end. And he's not a young guy. He's 20, 20, right, 27. He just, just turned 27. He's got the same yeah. birthday as my daughter. He just turned 27. And, uh, you know, he, so he's not a prospect. 
He's not a young guy, but by NHL standards, he hasn't played a ton of games in the NHL. And now he's split them basically between two coaches with wildly different systems. I, I, I don't want to be an apologist for him, but I do think you need to give him some time to embrace. He's the one I remember when when, when the, the coaching change hired about, I don't know, a week or two into his Carlton's tenure. I wanted to get the player's perspective on the X's and O's differences of, of, of playing for Joel versus Colleton. And NHL players never want to talk X's and O's. One of the things that I get from fans all the time is, why don't you get X's and O's? It's because they won't fucking tell me the X's and O's. They won't talk about them. It's just <laughs> it's just anathema to them. They just won't right. do it. Right. So, But Gustafson is, is, is an exceptional. He'll, he'll tell you about it. And he was fascinating about it. He was openly telling me how difficult he was finding it to switch from, you know, the zone to man to man and how he was lost mm -hmm. out there sometimes. And, you know, mm -hmm. he used to do this and that was hard, but now I'm doing this and it's even harder. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's his second full season in the NHL essentially. Yeah. And it's a new coach for him. And, and, and it is taking time. I don't think he's ever going to reach that level where his defense is going to catch up with his offense, but he's certainly a, there, there's certainly enough room for reasonable growth there that he can be a viable. And I do think top four defenseman, he could be a second pairing guy. I probably, ideally he's a specialist, but this team's not going to be deep enough on defense for him to play 14 minutes a night and just anchor a power play. He's going to have to get better defensively. Yeah, we've been we've been saying and 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 I've been saying that, you know, he if you if you partnered him with a Nicholas Jalmerson type of defender who had that effect on Brian Campbell back in 2008, 2009, and 2009, 2010, um, you know, that might be a really, really good stabilizing partnership for him. But they don't have anyone even close to They that. don't have that guy, right, right. And nobody, none of these new guys coming up are going to be that way. They can't nope. play defense either. No, right. they would have to get that through trade or uh, a free agency possibly, but more right. off, more likely trade. Which is going to be difficult because there's they have they you know whether you think these guys are good or not they have a logjam of signed guys and they probably are going to re-sign all these RFAs like Cuckoo and Forsling because you can never have enough defensemen in the system. Yeah, yeah. I so don't you, know. I think if you you're, you're going to have to move somebody great. significant to bring in an actual shutdown defenseman. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. And that's kind of what, what we've been thinking too. Um, and it just seems like it's it's such a great need that it may make sense to uh you know to move from a position of depth somebody from a position of depth um you know to get that that type of defenseman to come in because it, it seems like it's i mean murphy has stepped up this year and and yeah, but murphy's, murphy's another guy who's uh, some fans will never forgive him for not being nicholas jalmerson but he's been arguably their best defenseman for a year and a half now yeah that's kind of what we said last year we said you know you want to pick on him because he isn't you know nicholas jalmerson and but who really who is and, uh, you know, he's done it. He's, he did all right. He started off a little rough, which gave fans kind of a sour taste in their mouth. And, and then every defenseman who ever came in here struggled the first six weeks under Joel. It was amazing. Yeah. It never failed. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, then he, he came around and, and towards the end of the year, and I've heard people say that, you know, Seabrook was the best defenseman, uh, towards the second half of the year last year, whatever, you know, six, one, half a dozen of another with this. But I thought it was, I personally thought it was Connor Murphy. Uh, last year, that he, was he was the most consistent guy. Yeah. Like he was the he was the guy least liable to embarrass you on a nightly basis, and on a bad defense, that's really all you can ask. Right? He was consistently reliably fine. Yeah, not to keep this the Eric Gustafson show and spend the whole time on Eric Gustafson, but uh, I believe it was Scott. Yeah, I had no idea he was such a hot point issue with you. Guys. All right. <laughs> we have like we have like Eric Gustafson corner every every show. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We don't plan on it. Just like, happens. Like, I'm sure, and, and, and I'll peel back the curtain a little bit here. I'm sure there must be 
you know, I, I, I know in my head I'm, I'm doing a professional job and I remove these kind of biases, but I like Eric Gustafson personally. I think he's funny. He's a good quote. He's available to talk a lot. Yeah. Does that color the way I write about him? I don't think it does, but surely somewhere deep in the recesses of my subconscious, maybe that plays a role. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a troll on Twitter. There you go. There's a sound <laughs> the soundboard for you. <laughs> so, Mark, I have another question for you. Yeah, sure. So we were, you know, um, I think we like a lot of fans, bloggers, what have you, and apparently yourself, too. We were a little angered at the Joel Quenville dismissal. Um, I think it I think for us and I think for a lot of others, it brought back memories of Dale Talon's dismissal in 2009 and um, which were not, you know, good memories for a lot of us. And, um, you know, but the thing that kind of got lost in it was that perhaps they had hired or, or elevated this Colton guy for a reason. And, you know, one of the you touched on it a minute ago with regard to the, the first six weeks with Quenville. And, you know, I'm I'm a huge Joel Quenville fan. I, I defended him over the years, you know, just endlessly with with commentate commenters and, and uh, readers. And but I really think. It seems to me anyway that, for example, these trades that Bowman has made for the, you know, the Anthony Duclairs and the Tomas Yurkos, you know, which never seemed to work out with with Quenville this year. He trades for Strom and Perlini and these guys are thriving under under Colleton. And I feel like and again, I'd love to get your take on it because you're closer to it. I feel like Colleton, unlike you, is really, really good with young players. And I just love to get your take on that. Well, Perlini was not thriving for most of his time here. That is a very recent thing. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. But Jer Jeremy Calden was playing him literally like six, seven minutes a night yeah, for most of the yeah. time and scratching him half the time. Well, maybe that's what he needed to do, you know, and maybe that's what, what you know, the how the message needed to be Or sent. maybe he just needed to watch Free Solo. Did you ever think about that? Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, look, I think the Joel Quenville uh, can't relate to young players thing is a little overblown, but yeah. Jeremy Colleton is certainly better at relating to young players than Joel Quenville is. Joel Quenville's a 60-year-old man. Jeremy Colleton is 34. Of Watch course it. he's going to relate to players, but hey, I'm 39. Of course Jeremy <laughs> Colleton is going to relate to younger. That's why they brought in uh, uh, Granado uh, a year or two ago, was to help them, help Joel. All of a sudden, Joel went from this super veteran team to this really young team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, he. I think Michael Kempney just scored an own goal, by the way. So clearly that trade was justified now. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I'm the game on in the background. Uh, yeah, he did just score an own goal. Look at that. Nope, no, he didn't. He just completely lost his guy. Never mind. Sorry, I'm rambling. Um, but look, Joe, of course, a younger coach, you know, a more modern coach is going to relate to the young guys better than Joel Quenville did. But Joel Quenville was fine to you if you were a young player, if you were a good player. Right. I always say this. Joel didn't hate young players. He hated bad players. Right. He hated lazy players. And he really, really hated one-dimensional players. Right. You, you look at the long list of people that that Joel Quenville supposedly ran out of town. Very few of those guys went on to do anything. Right. You know, you know, Jeremy Morin. Good God. The amount of tweets I used to get about Jeremy freaking Morin. Brandon Fury. <laughs> These are one-dimensional guys who well, didn't feel like careful. defense was, rest, was, was There are necessary. those out there who will tell you that Brandon Peary is, is a diamond in the rough, and it's only a matter of time before he becomes That's why he's on his 97th right. team and is scratched right. every night. Famous. Right. <laughs> Even, you know, uh, I, I, I think that if, if these trades were made, I think that Joel Quenville could have worked with Dylan Strom. I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't. Dylan Strom is 
uh, a reliable player who's in the right place making smart decisions. You know, would he have gotten the same opportunity? I don't know. But as bad as things were, you'd have to think that a trade like that, he would have gone and given him an opportunity because there was nothing to lose. The, yeah. the fact is, Jeremy Stan Bowman has given Jeremy Collison a much better roster than he gave Joel Quenville. Yeah. The, the, Joel Quenville, I, I don't think this was done intentionally or maliciously. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but he was set up to fail. He was given a lousy roster, and all the offseason additions, Chris Kunitz and Brandon Manning, what was that supposed to do for anybody? Yeah. And, and, and I, I found it a little curious when Stan said retroactively, oh, you know what, those were, those were Joel's signing. I was trying to appease Joel. I don't think that, 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 that felt like a weird retrofitting because at the time, Stan couldn't stop raving about Chris Kunitz and Brandon Manning. Sometimes you make the wrong decisions, you just sign the wrong guys, it happens. Um, so I think Joel Quenville... The, if you gave Jeremy Colleton the, the roster that Joel Quenville had, it would have been just as awful. And in fact, to this day, even though we all acknowledge that the roster is better now, the underlying metrics were better under Joel Quenville than they are still now, even the way the Hawks are playing now under Colleton. That team, the Hawks just won, I think it was the Dallas and the Arizona games. They just had a 50% Corsi rating or better for consecutive wins for the first time since this first month of the season under Joel Quenville. Yeah. So, well, shot totals have been a complete disaster all season. Well, yeah, they give up too many shots. I mean, even the Montreal game, it's like, oh, that was a good game. They give up 48 shots. Right. I mean, yeah. they give up 35, 40 shots a night. It's not a recipe for success, but right. I give Colleton credit. He's kind of embraced what his team is. He knows he's got to go out there and win 5-4 to four every night, so he loads up. He goes and tries to score goals, and you know what? They're going to give up shots. And Corey Crawford's going to have to bail him out sometimes. Sometimes this team is not going to become a defensive juggernaut overnight. So why not just go out there and play Maple Leafs hockey? Try to outscore the other guys. Yeah, well, Maple Leafs hockey isn't doing so well lately either. That is true. Yeah. (laughs) So the other point now more recently is um, the playoffs. It never seems to go away. And and you guys mentioned this today uh, that, you know, Everyone thought they were done in December and then they came back and won and they had that big, that wild run. Everybody was losing. They were winning. They really gained some ground and then they got cold again. Everybody else started winning. They started losing. And and, and now they're back to where they're playing a little better, winning more games. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the playoffs, 10 games, they got 10 games ago. You guys said that, you know, they would probably have to go seven and three at least. Um or at least that, that was your opinion. And uh, I've heard as much as eight and two. And also that they uh, would lose in a tiebreaker scenario. So what is, you could re, if you could reiterate for our listeners, what is your opinion on this whole playoff? Now we don't, we don't buy into it at all. We don't think they're playoff team. We don't think they're going to make the playoffs. So what do you, what, what say you about this playoff? Uh, they're, race. they're they're kind of the well, what's the guy from Game of Thrones, Beric Dondarrion, who keeps getting resurrected after dying all the time. <laughs> they're kind of like that. We we keep putting the nail in the coffin on them, and they keep busting out of the coffin. Uh, I thought after that West Coast trip, they were done. They looked awful. That LA mm-hmm. game, it still. I don't know how they played that LA game. How could you be so bad against such a bad team, and then all of a sudden look good again? Uh, look, like I I agree with you. This is not a playoff team, but they very well could make the playoffs because the West is awful. Yeah, the bottom half, even the top of the West is pretty. Like other than maybe Calgary, San Jose, and Vegas, is anyone playing well in the West right now? The whole it's Central Division, Nashville, Nashville, and Winnipeg. Winnipeg was my preseason pick, and I love that team. Winnipeg and Nashville look highly beatable right now, 
And you can't tell me that if the Hawks somehow sneak in, that Corey Crawford isn't single-handedly capable of maybe stealing a series from one of those teams. Now, will they get to that point? That's a huge if. I don't think that they can. But if they go out, and as long as they don't fall apart against Philadelphia tomorrow, if they can get Colorado, Colorado, Arizona, you win all three games, this team will make the playoffs. Yeah. Do you have any points there? And you're probably not. It's that simple. They have to sweep those three games. And if they sweep those three games, I will believe they will make the playoffs. They have to show me something, a home-and-home home against Colorado that's huge, and then go on the road against Arizona. These are big games. These are not tested guys. You know, there's, what, five guys in this team that are truly tested. Almost yeah. all these players have never played meaningful hockey. Dylan Strom, Connor Murphy, they've never played meaningful hockey in their lives in the NHL. Right. So yeah. this, is, this is where we're going to find out everything about this team. And if they go out and they beat Philadelphia and then they sweep those three big games – I will be in the Blackhawks and we'll make the playoffs camp. Right now, I'm not there. But yeah, I, I feel like they got to take, take like four or five out of six out of those three games. But the, you know, their last four games are, and I'm not I'm not getting this in order, but it's it's Winnipeg, Dallas, St. Louis, and Nashville. But and I feel like... Those teams could be locked into seeds by then. They there's could a, there's, be. There's a flip side to that. That, like, oh, my God, gauntlet down the stretch that those guys might not care. Like Tampa Bay right now, if you play Tampa Bay, what is Tampa Bay playing right. for? Just because right. they're great doesn't mean they, you know, they're going to care. Right. And that's that's true. I mean, you, the you remember, that last, is, remember that last game of the 2013 season, the lockout season in St. Louis? It was Brent Seabrook and the Ice Hogs. Yeah, right. And that's that's quite possible. But the other the other side of that is, is that. You know, these teams may want to be the teams that they may want to knock the Hawks out because the Hawks are playing so well right now. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see it. But I agree with you. The pivotal games, it seems like, are the the three against the uh, the other wildcard contenders, uh, Colorado and, and Arizona. Schedule um, sets up beautifully. It's, you're going to find out everything you need to know about this. Team. Yeah. 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 And, and, and also, too, you know. I've seen uh, a, a bunch of people say like, you know, okay, well, what's the difference if they finish, you know, 16th or 14th, is it going to make that much of a difference? You know, draft status, whatever. And no, really, honestly, it's not two, two different slot, you know, two slots in the draft is not going to make the big a deal for them. So they, you know, so it's like, well, if they're going to finish 16th round, they just finish 14th and make the playoffs and, and quarter quote, anything can happen. Now I don't, I don't subscribe to that. Anything can happen. I think if, uh, you know, if they make the playoffs, they're probably gonna. It's probably gonna look like a lot like the last time they were in the playoffs, where they were, you know, out in four games, or or maybe they could steal one game. That's if they wind the up against one of those Pacific Division teams. I agree with you, but if whatever reason things shake out that they wind up with Winnipeg or Nashville, those teams don't scare me anymore. Yeah, they don't. And not not that they're not scary, but I think they're more talented. I think at this point, and they're they're and more faster. constructed for playoff hockey. I, I really feel like the Hawks, you know, it's one thing to, to, you know, win five to four in the regular season and track meet games. Um, but, you know, it's a whole different style yep. of hockey, hockey in the playoffs. And I, I feel like this team did get in, and especially if they got, got in against one of those big heavy teams, Nashville or Winnipeg. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it would go well for the Hawks. I agree with you. Crawford could steal you a couple of games. Um, but you know, he's, I mean, there's, in my opinion, there's always a question mark hovering right over his head, you know? Oh, and, no question. No question. Yeah. 
So yeah, but you know, I, it's funny you talk about the draft pick. I remember a couple months ago when they, when they first started turning things around. It was like I don't know January or something. I wrote the worst case scenario was them finishing in ninth or tenth place and you know not making the playoffs and not right. getting a decent draft pick. But I, I've come around on that. When you when you when you you go in that room now compared to when you went into that room in December and January, there has been tremendous value in this you know at least this com- this stretch of competitiveness. Again, they're at a hundred point pace for three months now. And uh, the, 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 the carryover for that to next year is going to be huge. Like this is, this is a team that has a lot more confidence and I know we always make fun of confidence and momentum, but it doesn't matter if we believe in those things because hockey players do mm-hmm. It matters mm-hmm. to them. Jonathan Taze and Marion Hosa would literally think that they couldn't score anymore if they didn't see the puck go in every now and then it's just a thing with mm-hmm. them. So there, the, it doesn't matter what we think they think it. And mm-hmm. the, this team's prospects for next season, I mean, I look at this team next year, and I, I said this on, on, on our podcast with Scott, I don't see, as long as Corey Crawford's healthy next year, I don't see how this team doesn't make the playoffs next year. And I, and I, I never would have thought that in a million years three months ago. So that there's been enough value in, 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 in what they've learned about this team, the guys that have stepped up, the, the emergence of guys like Perlini and Strom and Kajula. And, 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 and the continued rise of guys like Cahoon. And all of a sudden you look at this team and, man, a piece here, a piece there. This is a competitive team. Yeah. And three three months ago it looked like they were years away from that. So, yeah, sure, you want Jack Hughes. I mean, who doesn't? And he still can win it. It's the, 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 the draft lottery is stupid. So a team with 2% chance can win it. Mm-hmm. But the, th- the, the team is so much better positioned mentally and on the ice right now mm-hmm. that I think that this whole stretch here has been worth it regardless of the outcome. I think yeah that that can definitely lead into the off season with that that positive. But as far as like making the playoffs next season, and sure they if they were to to play like they are right now, or at least reasonably close to what they are right now, sure yeah they could probably qualify for the playoffs. But I think to be legit and to contend for something, Stan's oh, there's still a ma- ways away from that. Yeah, no Stan's going to yeah. have to make some moves this summer, and that's kind of one of our questions that we got. Um, you know, it's not just going to be, and this is, this is another point of contention. We have the Eric Gustafson stuff. We have the playoff stuff. And then we have, which is kind of, yes, the quiet, it's quieted down a little bit lately, but well, look, we still have today. Let, let me, let me burst your bubble right now. Artemi <laughs> Panarin is not signing with the Blackhawks. Thank, Thank you. you, Mark Lazarus. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think people realize how much bitterness there is over what went down. Yeah. about that trade in the first place. I don't think, and again, this is me, this is not like well-sourced, like I had this on-the-record kind of information, but everything I hear is Artemi Panarin has no, like, of course the Hawks want him back. They're going to put on a hard sell for him, and Kane's going to lobby him, and maybe they can win him over, but from everything I've heard, you know, through the grapevine from hockey people all over the place, he has no interest in returning to the Blackhawks. I don't know if that's anything can happen in this business. Everyone, there's a reason everyone keeps pointing to New York, Florida, and LA. That's where he wants to be. Right. And I think the, the agent move um, to the same agent that Bobrovsky has was, that was a real tip off to me that, that um, they're going to, I think those two guys are going to get packaged somewhere. And, and I, the rumor, rumor has it that it's Florida is, is, you know, hot it's a logical them. landing spot. Yeah. Yeah. And vice versa. And, you know, I, I happen to live actually in Columbus, and so I'm somewhat privy to some of the dialogues about Panera. And I think the Blue Jackets have recognized that he's not staying by, you know, by any means, probably. But um, it does seem like he wants to be somewhere other than Chicago. And yet, 
there are fans who just simply cannot accept the fact that well, he would play anywhere else, you know? Because and, they're fans. Let them be fans. Yeah. Let them, yeah. you know. That's yeah, a good you, point. You, Fair you, point. You guys seem to worry too much about what people are saying on Twitter, man. You can't, you can't, you can't let those people color your mind, your whole mindset. And remember, I, I always, the people on Twitter, that's not the average fan, quote unquote. That's the lunatic fringe on both sides. That's the, the obsessives who know, like, the expected goals for percentage of every player on the team off the top of their heads. And it's the meatballs who are like shooting, yelling, shoot from the 300 level. The average <laughs> fan is, is comfortably in the middle. That's, that's the Twitter is the Fox news audience and the MSNBC audience. Everyone else is just watching, you know, reality crap on TV. Yeah. And as you once said, all knowing people on Twitter, <laughs> Jeez, I'm just, I, I love Twitter. I have a great time on Twitter, but you can't, you can't ascribe a you know just because someone on Twitter says something. You can't think that all fans are thinking this. If no, eleven, if I, 11 I people tweet at me that Eric Gustafson is worthless, that doesn't mean Blackhawks fans think he's worthless or vice versa. I mean, you have to remember this isn't a this isn't a cross section. Yeah, Agreed. for sure. Yeah, there's it's all of us yelling at each other in an echo chamber. Yeah, there's just just uh, it's that 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 vocal minority. That that gets well, actually, you actually those who those who sort of yell loudest on Twitter are usually. The more, as you say, Mark, the more opinionated and sort of the less fair-minded, and and therefore less able to see the the gray and the nuance of you know both the good and the bad of a player. I, I totally there's agree no with nuance that. on Twitter, and again, you know, I, and, and I, I I heard someone someone say the reason you guys don't like me is I'm I'm uh, high-handed and pompous or something like that. No, but, you did not <laughs> say that. Something along those lines. I I, I don't. I, I, I mean, I, I'm on Twitter. I, every single tweet you send at me, someone sends at me, I read. I see everything. And I try, to re- I try to respond to most of it. I have a lot of fun engaging on Twitter. But I try not to read what other people are saying. I, I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't read other, you know, unless someone says, oh, my God, you got to read this. And I'll go out and read it. I try not to read, like, the Trib and the Sun-Times. Jimmy and, and, and Jason, they do terrific work. Chris Cook did terrific work. Tracy, Charlie, they all do great work. I try not to read most of their stuff because I don't want my stuff to be colored by right. what I read somewhere else. I want to, I want my opinions to be my own and I don't want to be influenced even subconsciously by someone else's work. So, you know, I'm not out there reading, you know, uh, you know, you guys or, or, or Sam Fells or, you know, I try to avoid that stuff just like I try to avoid the quote unquote mainstream stuff because I just, I want my opinions to be mine. I don't want to be influenced by someone else. And I think that a lot of us get caught up in what other people are saying about us or about the team. And, and, and we start going down rabbit holes that don't help anybody. And you start, you know, losing your own thoughts that way. No, we definitely, I mean, to a certain degree, I sort of started to more understand why the persona looks the way it does on Twitter sometimes for you. I'm just having fun on Twitter. Twitter, I'm just trying to entertain myself on Twitter. Right. But (laughs) when you see the, the, uh, I mean, the volume of things, and and John and I see a fraction of what, you know, you or Scott or any of the mainstream media see on Twitter coming back at them. Just a fraction of it. And the madness, you know, sometimes we just want to, you know, we just want to bang our heads off the desk. We're like, what are you? And they, people want to fight with you about it and they want to argue with you about it. And you're seeing that tenfold. You know, so sometimes yeah, I, I can I, I understand see probably 15, 20 anti-Semitic tweets a day. I mean, there's just, a, there's just a lot of assholes on Twitter. You have to, yes. you know, and, and, and it's funny over the years there, there are people on, you know, there's, there's just, they're just regular fans, whether they're in New Zealand or they're in, you know, Sweden or they're in Chicago that you, you get to know after a while. Like, I feel like right. I know these people and, you know, they're the ones whose opinion I don't necessarily like 
heed it, but I take it more seriously because I know that this is a, a well-reasoned fan with for perspective who realizes this is just sports and doesn't take it too seriously, but can get emotionally invested and have fun with it, but not freak out over it. You know, those are the people that I you, you, you kind of recognize, and those are the people that you tend to gravitate toward. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, and uh, yeah. So just I, sports, yeah, I've I've definitely, and there's a couple of times where you know I've said something. And I look, I look back at, back at it the next day on Twitter, and I'm like, man, that could, that could have come, come out the wrong way, you know. Yeah. And it, it's not anything terrible, but it could have sounded. Well, t- tone is always lost, yeah. you know. It, right. It's not just sarcasm that's lost. It's like you said, it's nuance that's lost. Right, right. for sure. And, it, and that's why a lot, you know, every, every now and then I feel like I, I, I like I get fed up with something and I start going on some stupid rant. I remember a couple of years ago I went on. I was in the hotel room in Minnesota. I remember I was in the it's in the Uber all the way back to the from I was staying at the airport and on the back from St. Paul, my tweets were just Brent Seabrook is the worst. I want to kill Brent Seabrook. Brent Seabrook should be shot into the sun. Seabrook. And, and, and I just went on this rant about how like how could you be a Blackhawks fan and hate Brent Seabrook? Like you could be up, you could be frustrated by him. You could be lamenting his decline. You can be, you know, mad at his usage. How can you hate Brent Seabrook? How can you hate Jonathan Taves? How could you hate these guys that have brought you so much joy over the years? That's what you know. people cross the line in there. They get over emotional about it and they say things that are just so over the line. Like that's th- those are the people mm-hmm. that I can't stomach. Those are the ones that I can't stand. And those are the ones that I tend to sell out on Twitter. Like I'll quote tweet them and let the masses just like attack them like wild dogs. Because some people are just so lost and with so no perspective at all on this stuff. And like I, I just don't understand how you could call yourself a fan of this team and genuinely hate someone like that. Yeah, and well, the other thing about that too is that those those are you know snapshot. Well, I, I like to call snapshot opinions, and I'll use this this one as an example. At the beginning of this year, I mean, I just I, I would read every other tweet would be about that bomb sod, and yet now uh, a, a couple of months later, we're looking at Brandon Sod as having a pretty nice season and is starting to look very much like the Brandon Sod we saw we last saw in 2015. And you know who was pretty good last year too? It was Brandon Sod. Couldn't yeah, score. right, right. He and, and Jonathan Taves were like top five in the league in Corsi, but oh, they were bums and they were washed up and everything's right. a disaster. Let's kill them all. Right. I, I say, and I think that, and we, and Gate, Gate and I fall prey to it at times too, where we'll, we'll get, we'll, you know, we'll go into a downward spiral on a player or on, on a trend in the team. But generally speaking, I think that, that we're able to kind of write our course and, and, uh, you know, step back and see it for what it is. I mean, um, you know, and again, it's like Gustafson. I mean, of late, um, I have to be fair. I mean, the guy of late seems to be to be recognizing and playing better defensively. Um, and you got to call it, you got to call it for what it is. That's all because, you can ask. You can't. Right. You got to You got to mild improvement, uh, steady improvement. That's all you can ask. Right. But, uh, you know, I think that's where, you know, I, I, if I indeed do have a reputation for soft pedaling these guys and being apologists, I think it's just in relation to some of the lunatics out there. It seems that way. Sure. I mean, I will be just as critical of Brent Seabrook as anybody, but I'm not going to call him like some piece of shit asshole who should be fired into the sun because of it. Woo! He's a hockey player. <laughs> right. he's, he's not playing well sometimes. And I will point out that he's not playing well, but you have to have perspective. And, you know, he, you know, people that are mad at him for the contract, he didn't sign, he didn't give him that contract. The general manager of the team gave him that contract. Right. Yeah. Nobody in their right mind would have said, you know what? I think that's too much term. Why don't you right. why don't you take that back and give me less money for less term? Right. I mean, what do you expect him to do? Yeah, right. and our honest opinion on that one is that 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 may have been decided a little above Stan Bowman as well. 
with I don't know. It was a bad, it's certainly a bad contract. There's no way around that. It's it was a, a bad contract bad the day contract it was signed to cripple this team. But yeah. it is what it is. And it, it, to, to hold that against Seabrook somehow, that somehow nullifies all he's done in the past. You know, game seven against Detroit, all those big goals he scored and all those big oh, yeah. moments. Like I, I, that's that's what drives me nuts. And that's when I get high handed with fans. You know, those people that just lose all perspective. You know, do you know how many fan bases would give their left nut to have what you guys have had in the last 10 years? Oh, yeah. I grew that's up an true. Islanders fan, man. I was born in 1980. So I was zero, one, two and three when they won all their cups. I don't remember those. All I remember is 30 years of misery. My best memory as a sports fan was when they won in the second round in 1993. I don't feel bad for you guys, and nobody else does either. So, you know, you you guys got to take a little bit of a step back sometimes and just have an appreciation for what this franchise has accomplished in the last decade. Right. And you can still be critical. You can still be mad. You can still yell at everybody, but just have a little perspective while you do it. That's all I ever say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got a couple minutes left with you because we're not going to monopolize all of your time. Um, Our writer, Aaron Goldschmidt, I kind of keyed him in a little bit ahead of time that we were going to be we were going to be having you on the program. Uh, His question is, and we might want to give you a little bit of perspective on this one. But um, in your opinion, do you believe major junior uh, prospects are more prepared for the NHL than college players? Now, he is our college NCAA writer and John. Uh, kind of feels like the junior players are a little more prepared for the NHL because they're not wearing full cages. They're, you know, it seems to be more tor- more a little bit closer to the pro game than college does. What, what do you so think? So his argument is just about the cages? Well, no, it's no, one no. of them. It's not just about that. I think I also think that there's a different mindset um, in junior hockey versus college. Um, you know, junior hockey, it's, Pretty much all hockey and, and generally late teenage, early 20s hijinks where, you know, college, there's there's an educational component to it. Um, I do I do think and I know because I've been told this by by pro players who played in college that the full cage makes a difference in terms of what players feel like they can get away with physically in the college game versus the pro game. So that right. is part of it. Um, and, and I also think that there's there's exceptions to the rule on, on sort of both sides of the argument. My my feeling is that although there's more pro ready players coming out of college now, perhaps than ever before, I still feel like generally speaking um, th- that there's more, pro, you know, pro players, eventual NHL players are coming out of the NHL versus college. And I know it for a long time it has been that way. Well, I think I, I'm sure there's a lot of nuance to this. And, you know, Scott knows more about, you know, the prospect pool and, and development than I do, you know, by a long shot. But I think there's a lot, there's a lot of components to it. The college schedule is less demanding. You know, they're not on the ice nearly as much. They don't mm-hmm. practice as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they play fewer games. So yeah, in that respect, you know, if you're, if you're in the OHL and you're playing in the playoffs, you're playing what 75, 80 games that year. Mm-hmm. Whereas a college guy's playing 30, 35 games. And you know, when you talk to college players, that's always the biggest thing they talk about. It's just, Oh my God, just playing every other day. It's just, it's, it's mm-hmm. exhausting. And they tend to hit a wall. Uh, I also think that, you know, and, and this is this, I have no numbers to back this up, so don't hold me to this, but in my just, you know, uh, uh anecdotal experience more high-end players go the junior route than go the college right right you know a lot of college guys that come out weren't super highly touted guys like so i think that that might be just 
coloring it too is that more kids <clears throat> yeah. come out of junior ready because they're better players. Yeah. Whereas a lot of college people, the college guys come out and they're late bloomers. They're 22, 23 years old and they're finding themselves where the junior guys are 19 right. years old and already at an elite level. So I think that might color it too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but I, I haven't seen enough of either college hockey or junior hockey to be able to speak knowledgeably on the style of play. But I, I generally think that you're correct that it's rarer for a college player to be instantly ready but I think that has a lot to do with a lot of circumstances. I don't know if it's necessarily that the style of game necessarily is is that big of a difference. But you might be right. I mean, you probably know more about this than I do. Well, and I mean, Jim Cummins, who played for the Hawks back in the 90s, you know, once said that, you know, college was so different from pro hockey and especially the NHL because, you know, guys could walk around like they were 10 feet tall in college because they had the full cage on. And, and you know, we've heard that anecdotally from from other people close to the pro game. I could see that um, since then. And um, that's that's part of it. It's certainly you know, it's it's not something that we've really explored with Aaron. I mean, I mean, we got into it a, a few shows ago for about five minutes. But I think that's part of it. I think you raise another really good point about the number of games in the season. And also, yes, that that, you know, if you look at. Um, just the Hawk talent pool right now. I mean, you've got Boakvist and um, uh, Bodin are both still playing in junior, and Boakvist is playing with some great players. I mean, DeBrinket played in junior with some great players, including that guy up in, in Edmonton named right. McDavid. If you're a 16-year-old superstar, you're probably not going the college route. Right, right. Right. So that's, that's those are really good points. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm genu- I'm genuinely intrigued by this. I'm gonna ask Dylan Secure about this next chance I get. I'm curious because he's a very honest kid about stuff like this, about whether the cage makes a difference. I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, and he may have a different opinion, but like I said, I did, I did hear that those words come out of the the mouths of an NHL player. Cummins played at Michigan State back in the '90s, and he played with the Hawks and a few other teams. So interesting. All right. Well, we're almost time to wrap up. I got one last question, and it's kind of more of a lighter question. Uh, but if you're a Hawks writer right now, you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I had to play that because um, <clears throat> I promised. I very I... frequently have no idea what's going on. That's <laughs> what makes this job fun. If I knew what was going on, it'd be boring. Yeah. So our boy Stash Esquire on uh, Twitter, um, who was nice enough to uh, suggest uh, the sound clip that I now use at the beginning of the podcast, uh, which is. And I've been meaning to say thank you, but um, now I'm going to say thank you. His question for you, Mr. Lazarus, was Tom Seaver or Doc Gooden? Wow. Uh, I mean, Tom Seaver was a little before my time. Doc Gooden was, I was four or five or six when he was at the best. So I look at him as almost like this godlike creature. So I would have to go with Doc Gooden. He flamed out. But man, when he was at his best, he might have been the best pitcher of all time. Yeah. For about a couple of years there. Yeah. When, when I paid attention, when I started paying attention to baseball was when the, the Red Sox made the World Series in 86. And uh, I was a big Red Sox fan. So I I, I, I remember Doc Gooden well. So when he threw that no hitter with the Yankees, that was a very, that was a very hard day for me. Yeah. <laughs> Bittersweet. So, um, John, you got anything else you want for uh, Mark or you think we had all our points? No, I, th- I really, he's answered a lot of, a lot of questions and I think it's been a great dialogue. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, I think, I don't know if you, if you don't know Mark Lazarus at this point in time, uh, I, I don't want to tell you, but find him on Twitter. I, I think the lesson here is don't take me that seriously because it's just sports. Yeah, for sure. And, and Mark, we want we want to thank you uh, for coming on, being a good sport. I think you kind of knew that we were, you know, we weren't going to ambush you or anything like that, but um, 
Would have been fun too if you had done that, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's probably plenty of people who would have liked it to, to uh, see that, but um, that's just not my style. I think it's, it's kind of slimy. You, you designed the logo for our podcast, right? Which is awesome, by the way. Right. Uh, thank and, you. And it's funny. It's funny when Scott mentioned that to me. He's like, "Yeah, this guy done like." I've heard that name. Isn't that the guy that really hates me or something like that? And I check and I'm like, oh, I'm blocked by his website. And okay, okay. <laughs> well, all right. Well, yeah. I guess well, it can't be that bad. He's designing our podcast logo or, or he must really like you. <laughs> I, I do really like Scotty. Um, but you know, at, at the Hard time, uh, yeah, he he's, seems, he's like one of the nicest guys ever. And, um, but you know, recently at that point in time, like I said, I had been, you know, definitely agreeing more with the things you were saying and, uh, really a lot of things. So, um, at the time, Scotty said he needed I mean, it. I'd, I honestly, do... I'd, be, I'd be worried about that if I were you. <laughs> he, I, you know, I do some graphic design, and uh, so I figured I would. I had an idea. I throw it. I throw it Scott's way. So I'm glad it worked looks, out, though. Yeah, it looks great. Awesome. So, well, that's Mark Lazarus from the Athletic. Uh, you can read his stuff over at the Athletic. Uh, you can uh, subscribe by going to theathletic.com. And uh, uh, Mark, thanks for uh, coming on with us. Hey, man, it was fun. Thanks for having me. Great. Yeah, thanks, Mark. All right. That was awesome. Mark Lazarus. Uh, I really appreciate him coming on. He was cordial and funny and we had a good time. So uh, I really want to thank Mark for coming on again. And uh, like I said earlier, uh, we may do it again. So uh, great. I want to, um, <clears throat> before we go into the, the, the final, uh, uh, the final wrap up of the show, uh, I want to acknowledge a couple things. Blackhawks talking points. We talked about some things uh, earlier in the show. Uh, with the stats and stuff, but uh, I want to acknowledge these few things. We may or may not go into them uh, extensively, but I want to bring them up. Uh, First of all, Brendan Perlini, NHL second star of the week last week. He had what? uh, Six goals or something like that. Uh, He played very well. I'm really glad. I mentioned this uh, probably last podcast. I'm really glad to see Brendan Perlini kind of putting things together. I don't know that it's sustainable, but um he looks really well. He could be, you know, a third line player at some point in time. I don't know what his defensive prowess is going to bring, you know, but uh, he, he could be a useful player. You know, the thing about Perlini is what you hear anecdotally about him is that he he can be really tough to play against. Um, in fact, I think some Hawk players said that about him when they played against Arizona last year. Um, and you know, it's funny, we talk about those types of guys on the Hawks lower lines and how, how they need those types of guys. Um, you know, the other night against Vancouver, the best the Hawks best line was the fourth line camp Kruger and Kunitz, um, Ku, uh, <laughs> Kruger and Kunitz probably won't be here next year. Um, you know, Perlini, it's like the Perlini that we've seen, he's probably he's probably not going to be this prolific a scorer over the course of his entire career. I think we're seeing, you know, him on a really hot streak. All that said, you know, if if he can become a, you know, 20 goal, 20 assist a year player and, you know, really be difficult to play against at his size and with his speed, the, the Hawks could, should clone that for their bottom lines. That's that's what the teams that win cups have on their bottom lines. They have those kinds of guys. Um, you know, I, I recall the uh, the outdoor game this year against Boston and how Boston's fourth line dominated the Hawks, just dominate them. And they had like guys like Sean Corrali, who's who's that kind of player. You know, maybe not as skilled as Berlini, but you know, he's got the size and he's just really difficult to play against. And he and he can he can play you know down low in a 
in a cycle game. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it's, Perlini's a nice building block if, if you know, if it and it appears he's a guy they're going to want to keep um, that. That's a really encouraging sign for this team going forward. Yeah, that's and I, I think I said this last week with Al. Uh, Brennan Perlini was probably a guy I would have said if he didn't go into this insane hat streak, I would have been like, well, it's 50 50 whether they're going to ha- keep him hanging around because uh, he could have been the you know, the next Anthony Duclair. But, well, uh, I would have said keep him around because of the size of the speed. In fact, I said that a couple of weeks ago. I felt like people were giving up on him too early. And, hey, sometimes I'm wrong. In this this in this instance, I was right, I think. Um, but, it, again, you know, like, I mean, like Kunitz and Kruger the other night, and Camp for that matter too. But, I mean, those guys are all – none of those guys are really big guys at all. And yet they were playing big, you know. And, and you know, whether the guy is 6'4", 220, or six foot and 190 – if he can play big um, and, you know, and still help you skating a regular shift in terms of pitching and some goals now and that now and then those are, those are the guys that you win hockey games with. And especially in the playoffs when it gets so much tougher. Um, and, you know, so again, Perlini's, you know, he's got those, those components you want, the size and the speed, and they say he's, he can be very tough to play against. So that's, a, that's exciting. I think his biggest uh, challenge is going to be consistency. Yep. Yep. I mean, he, 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 he's fast. He's pretty big. Uh, he seems to have a pretty decent scoring touch, uh, uh from based on his one timers. He has, he has a pretty good shot. I think, um, where his challenge is going to be is between his ears. And yeah, you know, it's funny. Don, Don Cherry had a saying that I've always loved, which was when the crusher becomes a rusher, he will soon become an usher. And I hope that Perlini, now, again, now he could become a perennial 30-goal-a-year player. I don't think he's going to be that guy, and I hope he doesn't start thinking he's that guy and you know that, that he embraces that lower-line role that he's probably ultimately going to need to play with this team, um, although they've got him playing with um, Strom and, and Debrinkit right now, and he's, he's looking pretty good. So, but, but I think, again, he's probably in the end going to be a third-line player, um, and uh, so we'll see. Yeah. Um... Now, today, earlier today, kind of a, a an interesting side note, uh, the Blackhawks in the United Center announced it, un- announced it, Jesus, <laughs> uh, announced that they are going to have a brand new scoreboard next year, state of the art, uh, this big, huge scoreboard, you know, big video board, and our boy Pappy, I want to give him credit on this, he's been saying that they've been way out of date and way out of, you know, with, with their, their technology as far as the in-game experience in the rink that they have been way behind everybody else for years. So uh, stick tap to Pappy for, you know, he'd bring that up, brought that up before, man, I'm tripping over my words today, but um, yeah, so they're going to have a brand new big, huge scoreboard. That's got like a little uh, screen underneath. So the people who are actually sitting, you know, close to the, uh, you know, the, the front rows can see the scoreboard a little bit. There's going to be a little bit, it, it looks really cool. If you go online, go on Twitter or whatever, um, I believe maybe the United Center website has the uh, the video. Go check it out. Maybe I'll even throw it in the uh, in the uh, description of the the episode. But um, yeah, it's just a cool little quirk that you know the Blackhawks are going to have this uh, thing, but, which started a whole shitstorm with you <laughs> based on your comment uh, of watching Eric Gustafson get uh, turnstiled all night long. Turnstiled and ragdolled in, in HD four. sense around, which yeah. man, that triggered some people. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> I, I I never knew that uh, Eric Gustafson was going to be, uh, you know, we were 
they're going to be the Eric Gustafson apologists out there. Um, well, you know, the thing I think that that sort of really got that going was uh, a back and forth about whether the Hawks are going to sign Panarin. And, and um, you know, <laughs> well, we talked about that. With, we talked about that with Mark, too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, that's just it is what it is. It's just news. Um, Drake Kajula uh, was actually back today for the first time, I think. Uh, he hit the ice. He was doing drills, I think, before practice. But uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to come back in the next 10 games. Uh, that's kind of a tight time frame. But, uh, or I don't even know if they're going to want to, you know, risk it. You know, it, 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 if he's a guy, maybe maybe they've already decided they're going to bring him back or they're not going to bring him back. I, <coughs> excuse me, I think they're going to bring him back. I think he's done enough. Oh, uh, yeah. He's done, you know, in, he, he's tenfold what you know brandon manning was he's just been a good player that can go up and down the lineup i know a lot of people that like what they see out of him i like what i see out of him is a you know cheap lower uh bottom six player i'm fine with drake kajula so maybe you just set him down maybe they're just trying him out um maybe you know i don't know that there's necessarily a reason to bring drake kajula back uh you know to wrap up you know games you know 80 and or 81 and 82 or something like that but uh you know we may see him back anyway. And um, I just want to acknowledge this, <laughs> that uh, just because it did happen, um, WIFR in Rockford reported that former Rockford head coach Ted Dent was arrested on multiple domestic violence charges. Violence charges. Um, that's bad news for uh, Mr. Dent. Um, you don't want to see that for sure. So, um, uh you know, <clears throat> I hope it works out in the end for everybody, but uh, it's bad news. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm not defending d- domestic violence by any stretch of the imagination. It just, you know, nobody, no, few, few, if any of us know all the details. And, um, you know, I guess I would re- reserve judgment until all the facts are in. And, and uh, um, you know, it's just, you know, it's just a shame sometimes, you know, we, we put hockey players and coaches up on pedestals and yet, you know, they, they, they remind us like everybody else does that they're human beings and, and, uh, just, you know, hope that, uh, everybody's okay in that situation and, and whoever needs help gets the help they need. Yep. For sure. Moving on. Uh, lastly, uh, this, I just noticed this retweet from, uh, from the OHL where, um, Blackhawks prospect Mackenzie Etwistle was named best defensive forward of the OHL's Western conference, which is a nice little perk. I mean, that's nice to see, um, you don't see a whole lot of, you know, this guy was the best defensive player, you know, best defensive forward. So that that could be promising for the Blackhawks. I don't know where Mackenzie Entwistle ever is going to end up for the Blackhawks. None of us really do know. Um, they, there were some flashes in the preseason that he scored a goal. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe he ends up, a, a, you know, fourth line guy. He could end up being that, that kind of guy. He's got the size and he plays with some edge and, uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you, you never know. But uh, that that was nice, so I want to acknowledge that. Um, so that's pretty much it as far as the Blackhawks go. They uh, play tomorrow against Philly, um, and then they play a home-and-home home on the weekend uh, versus we talked about before, you know, Colorado. And uh, that's going to be huge. Uh, you know, uh, they would have to sweep those games, like we said earlier, so. Yeah, we we talked at length with Mark about the Colorado games and the Arizona game that follows that. And, you know, not coincidentally, those are two of the teams that the Hawks are going to have to jump over to if they're going to make it into the playoffs. And 
boy, you're going to be, those are going to be playoff intensity games, you know, you're, and you're going to, those are the, you're going to find out which teams want it, you know, and which teams deserve it in those games. And, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you got anything else you want to bring up? I do. Um, I okay. want to thank, I got a, uh, a, a note in, in the mail today about, so when Gate and I started um, the rink back in November 1st of 2017, we actually sort of christened the new venture with a rumor that we broke about uh, the Chicago Steel building, what at that time was rumored, rumored to be, or we were told was going to be a $40 million multi-use facility out at Route 59, and I forget what the crossroad was in, in um, I think it was the expressway, the tollway in, in Naperville. And, hey, you know, our source, we have sources. Um, our source was correct, and that was later on announced, and we were able to bre- break that as the inaugural rumor of the rink.com. Well, our guy, Ryan, who's our, our source on that, and I don't think he minds, you know, us sharing his name, uh, messaged me today. And he shared a little bit that um, the the steel um, and I guess their their partners in the uh, in the venture um, are planning on uh, building on a bigger scale. One of the things they're going to do, which I think is really cool, and if this has been broken elsewhere, then then you know we we uh, tap at the stick to whoever did, but uh, we're told that this isn't this is new news. Um, they're planning on building a dormitory facility. Um, for the players with classrooms that's meant to facilitate the transition of some of these players into college because very few of these players are going to play pro hockey and they're going to have a life after after uh, junior hockey. And so I just thought that was a, a nice little sort of add-on in that, to that original rumor and that, uh, you know, all that phenomenon of the steel out in Naperville. We've, we've developed a relationship with them, with Brent Meske there, um, uh, media relations guy, and he's given us uh, some pretty remarkable access there in Naperville. And we've got Ray Nabiantek, who's our dedicated steel and USHL writer, along with uh, Ron Luce. And uh, so that's that's really exciting to see all that going on and, and to see what they're doing in the community and for the young men playing for them. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up Ray because Ray's been killing it for the steel. I, you know, yeah. I, I can't rave enough about our boy Ray. And, uh, you know, Ron doing the, uh, you know, the, the junior stuff and, and, uh, Mario and Aaron really killing it and their respective, you know, uh, those guys have been given, you know, giving us blood, sweat and tears on this. And, uh, I, I just want to make sure that we acknowledge those guys. So, oh, yeah. and our yeah. boy, and, and I, I didn't leave this guy out, Evan Miller. And Evan re- Miller and re- Eric Andrews, who's yeah. jumped in and, and helped out behind the scenes. Yeah, Matt, uh, some of the newer guys, Matt and Seth and those guys, um, you know, all those guys. But I left Evan last because I wanted to uh, uh, kind of tie this into what you brought up with the, the dormitory kind of thing. That's kind of what's going on with the Indy Fuel. They've yeah. kind of got that that dormitory thing. And Evan did a really great article about that earlier in the year. And uh, so I just want to tie that into it as well. Our boy, Evan Miller, who covers the Indy Fuel. So uh, it's kind of a similar type thing, but that's, that's big news, you know, big news. Yeah, it's, it's funny, Evan. Um, I have a son who's Evan's age. I guess I'm dating myself. Um, <laughs> um, and I was talking to my, I was telling my son about Evan today and, and how proud we are of him and, and the quality of the work that he's doing. And, uh, you know, uh, we have a, a group of guys working for us, uh, many of whom are, are probably going to go on to bigger and, and better things in the world of hockey and hockey writing. And um, we couldn't be more proud and more grateful for the fact that they're, 
you know, putting in the time and effort and, and passion that they are at the rink. And uh, so uh, thanks to those guys. And we hope that you, all of our listeners are, are visiting the site and, you know, reading about what's going on in Rockford, you know, and, and what's going on with the college prospects or the NCAAs as a whole, or, you know, our, our sort of burgeoning uh, coverage that we started this year of junior hockey. So, and then also Evans, Evans worked on the ECHL. So right. it's awesome. Yeah, but our writers... Seriously, these potato heads have to be the unsexiest mob of all time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Well, let's ra- let's put a tight little bow on the top of this and wrap it up for this week. Um, you can find all of our comprehensive content that we were just talking about at www.thudashring.com. Uh, you can find us on all the po- popular social media at The Rink Official. Uh, the uh, the Rinkcast is at the Rinkcast. You can get all the updates. You can see we were posting from there today with all the Laz stuff. Um, I am at Puck and Hostel. Uh, you are at Jekyll, J A E C K E L. Um, if you get a chance, head over to iTunes, rate and review us. I will try and read them as long as they're reasonable. If you're gonna be if you're gonna be an idiot about it, make it interesting. If you want me to read it on the air, if you're just gonna be an idiot and you're gonna insult us. Like, I'm not going to read that on the air because there's no reason. It's not fun. People aren't going to enjoy it. Um, you know, so it doesn't make any sense for that. Uh, my my <laughs> plugs, I had fun. Uh, no one no one really came out to the snake show this weekend that I know of to, to visit, but that's fine. Um, I had a good time this weekend in the Tinley Park Convention Center uh, for the, the reptile convention. Uh, Maybe they came out and they saw you and they thought better of it. I doubt that. I'm not scary. <laughs> I'm as I was telling Ray today, um, he said something about, you know, I could see, uh, I could see Puck and Hostel doing this and it was a goalie sitting on top of the net that he had flipped over. And I said, yeah, if you would have seen me Sunday night playing, uh, I got two minutes, uh, I got a two minute penalty. I got an assist. Uh, I won three, two in overtime and I got in a verbal jousting match with a guy that had prison tattoos that uh, probably would have shanked me uh, uh, given the opportunity. So yeah, I'll send you soap on a rope. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Not good. Not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, sometimes I need to learn to shut my mouth. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm 45 years old now. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, it may. Oh, dude, I I remember beer league games with guys like brawls, brawls outside the boards between the boards and the locker rooms. You know, grown men with you know, management level jobs. I mean, it's like so, so stupid. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is low level men's league too, that I'm playing in. So you got a lot of newer guys, some guys maybe don't know the rules, but uh, you know, if the puck, if I have the puck underneath me and you're, and you're spearing me in the balls, I'm going to get up and I'm going to punch you. <laughs> like it's just the bottom line. I'm going to do that. And uh, you know, he didn't like that. I had punched his teammate, but he didn't know what his teammate had done. So anyway, whatever. Ah, all right, let's wrap this thing up. Um, uh, also, my guys, I, I brought them up the last couple of podcasts. My guy, Five Star uh, Window Tinting in New Lenox. Great guys. Dropped my truck off the end of this week. They're going to do me up and uh, tint everything. Uh, black on black on black on black. More nice. black. Nice. So, uh, yeah, those guys are good guys, and uh, they do a great job. I've seen what, the work they do, and they do do a great job. So, Five Star Window Tinting in New Lenox. If you're in the area, you need your car uh, windows tinted. Uh, they offer all kinds of stuff. So you have any other plugs, John? Uh, I think I've covered it, but, and I just wanted to, I want to say thanks again to Ryan for the, for the tips that he provides on the steel. That's, that's really been awesome. So I, I don't know if I mentioned that before, Yeah, you did, <laughs> but that's okay. You can mention it again. 
Yeah. And uh, thank you to Mark Lazarus, of course. Yep. Um, uh, for, for joining us. And, uh, so, yeah. Um, so that's it, right? That's it. All right, cool. So, everybody, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedules to download, listen, and support us. Until next episode, see you on the ring. Thank you.